the sermon series is Dysfunctional Family, and I know that is not relevant at all, but we're still going to preach on it. Here's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Now, if you're married or you're not married, especially if you're not married, this sermon's for you, because I'm going to tell you how to marry the right person. We're talking about searching for your soulmate today, and um, I want to go ahead and say right off the bat, if you realized some time ago that you might have messed up in that area, you cannot back out after I preach this sermon. You cannot go, oh, so I got to, no, you don't have a way out. You're in, baby. You got to make it work, and we'll help you make it work. And uh, the people said amen. Social media, if you're going to put something on there, please um, use the hashtag dysfunctionalfamily. And uh, you guys just ask your wife how to spell that, and she'll get that for you. Uh, sermon notes, if you'd like the sermon notes right there is the email address you use. That's another great way to communicate with us here at the bridge. If you have any questions or anything you'd like to know about the church. Two of life's biggest questions. Number one, will I ever get married? Number two, who is it going to be? Will I ever get married and who is it going to be? Let's look in the Word of God in the book of Proverbs and let's look at chapter 12 and verse 26. The righteous, people who know God, people who have a personal relationship with God, choose their friends. And if you're dating somebody, I would hope they're your friend. Amen. You go, mm, not really. Okay. The righteous choose their friends how? Carefully, carefully. So if God instructs us to be careful to choose our friends carefully, then if we're single adults, we ought to be even more careful about choosing the person who is going to be our life partner, who's going to be our spouse for life, our mate for life. First, let me clear up three myths about marriage. If you believe these things, you are mistaken. Worked on that all day yesterday. Myths about marriage. Number one, God will choose a mate for me. I want to go ahead and tell you ladies, he is not going to say marry Larry. He is not going to say that to you. He's not going to say marry Harry or marry Sherry, guys. Or he's not going to say marry this person. This is the person I want you to marry. Now that might... You might say, well, I kind of felt, okay, well, he can affirm that you've chosen the right person, but if you're sitting back waking, waiting for God to choose somebody for you, you have to remember the verse we just read, the righteous, come on, the righteous choose, but they choose how? They choose carefully. You do the choosing, but you choose very carefully. Myth number two God has one special soulmate for me, and I must search the corners of the earth and find that one person and make it my mission to marry them. That is wrong. Let me tell you how I know that's wrong. If one person marries the wrong person, then it's just going to set off a chain reaction where tons of people are going to marry the wrong person. What we're going to talk about today is the kind. Y'all with me? The kind of person God wants you to marry. The third myth, like the Beatles said, Pastor, love is all I need. 
Everybody say it with me. Wrong, wrong. Love's good. You need to love them. I'm not saying you don't need to love them. I'm just saying you need a lot more than just that. And the people who've been married a while said, <laughs> love alone is not enough reason to marry. Just because you love somebody does not mean you should marry them. It is a very good thing to love them. You should love them. It is essential that you love them, but love ain't enough, baby. Love ain't enough. I know for you young ones out there, and you're like, oh, yes, it is. No, it's not. Nope. I heard about a man and his wife who went for marriage counseling. And the pastor said to the man, he said, well, let me just ask you this. He said, when you wake up in the morning, do you wake up grumpy? He said, no, I always let her sleep. So, <clears throat> so let's look at what God says about the kind of person you should marry. If the person you're thinking of marrying does not meet these requirements that I'm about to give you, don't marry them. If the person you're about to marry or think you're going to marry or whatever doesn't meet up to what I'm going to talk about today, don't marry them. Not because I said it, but because God said it in his words. Let's look at it. Number one, do not marry anybody you are not spiritually compatible with. Spiritually compatible. What does that mean? That means you think the same way about God. You perceive God the same way. You believe God. Your faith matches. If you um, do not have that spiritual union with this person, that spiritual connection, then you will never have the physical connection that is also essential in marriage and the emotional connection that is essential in marriage. You'll never have it if you don't have that spiritual connection. If you want God's blessing on your marriage, then God has to be at the center of your marriage. God's ideal marriage is like a three-legged stool. God, husband, wife. You remove any one of those legs in that marriage relationship and that stool will fall. Look what the Bible says. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 6 verses 14 and 15. Do not be unequally bound together with unbelievers. It doesn't mean you shun them. It doesn't mean you think you're holier than they are or you're better than they are, but you are not unequally bound to them in a marriage relationship, even in a friendship that would lead you down the wrong path. Do not make mismatched alliances. This is the uh, Amplified Bible, so it helps you understand it. Do not make mismatched alliances with them inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership can righteousness have with unrighteousness? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And then the next verse. What harmony can there be between Christ and Belial, which uh, means Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever. Now, I have unbelievers who are friends. I urge you, I tell you, I, 
I make that a part of our culture and a part of our mission and a part of our calling that you maintain relationships with unbelievers. If you don't, you will never be able to influence them. You'll never be able to bless them. You'll never be able to hopefully eventually lead them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So you know in this church we are all about having healthy relationships with unbelievers. Here's what this is saying. Don't create a bond with them that you know is going to be detrimental to your walk with God. Um, your mate ought to be a better Christian because they marry you. I'll let that sink in a little bit. Your mate ought to be a better Christian because they married you. You ought to be a better Christian because of who you chose to marry. And if you are bound with somebody who doesn't have the faith you have in God, how is that going to enhance your walk with God? It's not going to enhance it. It's going to hurt it. And the Word of God is very clear here. And uh, I know a lot of people scoff at this. As a matter of fact, one of the things here at the bridge, if you're going to get married by one of our pastors, you have to go through premarital counseling, and it's pretty involved. It's a commitment. And we have people who, when they found out, when they find out that they've got to go through premarital counseling, they're like, well, we want to get married next month, or we want to get married in the next, so we need one of you guys to just go ahead and marry us. We're not going to do it. And we've had people get ticked off because we wouldn't do it. That's Greek for mad, ticked off. They, they get mad because we wouldn't do it. And then they've entered into counseling, and we've looked at couples and went, y'all don't need to get married. And they've got mad about that, too. But you know what? When I stand before God on the last day, I want to know that I know that I know that I did everything I could. Listen, all you got to do is look at marriages falling apart in churches to know that premarital counseling is so essential. Uh, Marriage Magazine, um, which is an older magazine, I'm not even sure it's published anymore, but just a few years ago, came out with an article, one out of every 2.5 marriages ends in divorce in America. But when a couple, this is in the same article, when a couple is spiritually united and they practice three habits together, they attend church weekly together, they pray together, and they read their Bible together, listen to this, the divorce rate drops from one out of every two and a half marriages to one out of every 1,105 marriages. So, man, get your Bible out, get on your knees, go to church, and have a good marriage. Amen? What does Romans 1.12 say about that? I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Think about your spouse. Think about who you're about to marry or who you're even dating. Can, are you going to be able to say that? Is that, are they receptive to that? I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. So number one, first of all, what does he say? We've got to be spiritually compatible. Number two, we've got to be like-minded. This is the person you're going to marry. You're thinking about marrying. Now, if you're sitting here and you're going, man, I don't need this. I'm already married. Well, then... Write it down so you can help somebody else. You ever thought of that? Maybe a, a young couple is going to come to you and they're going to go, hey, man, i got some questions. And you'd be able to say, let me tell you what the Bible says here. Let me tell you what the Bible says there. And, of course, if you use material I give you, you will sound like a genius. 
All right? So we got to be spiritually compatible. Number two, we've got to have similar life purposes. We've got to have similar like-minded purpose for our life. Look what Amos 3 and 3 says. We don't read from Amos very often. We should. It's an incredible book. But Amos 3 and 3 says, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? This speaks of people who are planning to be married. Now, it doesn't speak specifically to people who are planning to be married, but it does speak to them. It is a good question for them to answer. It is basically saying you're not ready for marriage until you have an understanding of, first of all, your purpose for your life and a bit of an understanding of their purpose for their life, and do they go together? Do they flow together? I can't tell you the number of times. I have counseled with couples, and I knew, and I told them, I said, guys, I'm telling you, you are both going in different directions. You're going in different directions. You've got different interests. I could tell when I talked about one thing, he didn't like it. When I talked about something else, she didn't like it. But they're going to get married. I mean, hey, we're already spent a bunch of money, so we've got to get married. We've already spent a bunch of money on the wedding. Do you, do you, can I tell y'all that that is not a good reason to get married because you've already spent a bunch of money on the wedding? Because you're going to spend a whole lot more money later in court. If you've bought a bunch of food, just have us all over and we'll take care of it. And the people have said, amen. Back when Millie and I got married, if my purpose for life had been going in one direction... And Millie's purpose for life had been going in a different direction. Our marriage would not have lasted for June 26. June 26. 40 years, baby. 40 years. 40? Where is my girl? Out somewhere listening to somebody else preach. Let me tell you where she's at. She's in the foyer on her phone. Listening to Andy Stanley. <laughs> and that hurts. I won't tell you all right now. But we have the same purpose. Millie and I went to Bible college together. And if you think you can't make out in Bible college, I got great news for you if you're planning on going to Bible college. <laughs> you make out in Bible college in the president's office when he ain't in there. And if he wasn't dead, I wouldn't have told that right there. But he's gone on to be with Jesus. Sorry, Brother Ned. All right. It's been a while since I preached. I'm letting it all out. Y'all going to fire me? No. Before marriage, you should have an understanding. What is my calling? What is my mate to be? What is their calling? What is my purpose? What is their purpose? What is my vocation? What is their vocation? What is my mission for life? What is their mission for life? We've got to have that like-minded. Let's go on to number three. We must be healthy emotionally. Help us, Jesus, on this one. I didn't say emotionally perfect. How many of y'all are glad I didn't say emotionally perfect? Because <laughs> I want to tell you, man, if you're waiting for a perfect mate, it's not going to happen. Because we're all broken. I want you to look at the person beside you. And I don't do this very much because I don't really like to do it when I'm in the, But look at the person beside you and go, 
I'm broken and you are too. Now look at them and say, but that's okay because God still loves us. Amen, amen. We're all broken, man. You're never going to find a perfect mate. Matter of fact, if your mate thinks they're perfect, that's a real good sign to run. I want you to get this. Everybody's broken. So you're going to marry a broken person because everybody's broken. Here's what I'm saying. Some people are broken more than others. Don't point. And listen to me now. You do not need to marry them. But he's so pretty. And his hair. And he's so sweet and good looking. I'm telling you, don't marry them. I know people who have married gorgeous, emotionally big time, emotionally broken people. And trust me, it ain't worth it. That's deep preaching right there, buddy. I heard about a judge who said to a woman in divorce court, he said, but you promised that you would stay with him for better or for worse. She said, yeah, but he's a whole lot worse than I took him for. <laughs> Amen. Study after study has shown that 80% of all separations and divorces have happened because one or both partners are emotionally unhealthy and won't recognize it and won't see it and won't get the help they need. Okay? All right. God says there are certain kinds of people you need to avoid. Now, they're all in the second service, but y'all need to write this down, all right? Certain kinds of people you need to avoid. You need to avoid people who have uncontrolled anger. I don't care how pretty he is. I don't care how pretty she is. If they've got uncontrolled anger, what is my advice? Three-letter word, run. Now, I have told people not to get married for this, and they got mad at me and later came back crying and apologized and said, Pastor, I wish I had listened to you. I've married a madman or a madwoman. And when we think of anger, we often think of men, and we only want to put it on men, but guys, it isn't just men. Proverbs 22, 24, New International, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man or woman. I put that in there. It really means human. Do not associate with one, come on, easily angered. A bad temper is a sign of deep insecurities. A bad temper is a sign of a low self-worth. If a cup of anything is filled to the brim, it only takes a minor disturbance to send it over the top. Don't forget that. The best way to stop spousal abuse, we hear a lot about spousal abuse these days, is don't marry them. Can I just tell you, ladies, if a guy is abusing you physically or verbally now in the dating stage, it will multiply after marriage. I'm going to marry him, and I'm going to help him. No, you're going to marry him. He's going to whoop you. That's what's going to happen. 
He's going to be beating on you. He's going to be yelling at you. If he's doing it now in the dating, matter of fact, whatever I preach on the rest of this sermon, people you don't need to hang out with, listen, whatever that person's doing now that really, really kind of scares you and you're worried, it's just going to get worse after you marry them. It's just going to multiply. If you see someone who has uncontrolled anger, run. Do, look what it says. Do not associate with one easily angered. Number two, don't marry a person who's battling an addiction and they don't have victory over it. Now, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm confident that there's somebody sitting here who's battling an addiction. But when we think about addictions, we usually think about alcohol and drugs. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Proverbs 23, 20, wine is a mocker. It doesn't make you a mocker. It mocks you. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Greek word for that, dumb. So the Bible says if a person is battling addiction and they haven't gotten victory over that, then you don't need to marry them. Now I know when I was writing this one down, I thought about people who might get angry with me. Not certain people, but I, I thought there might be some who would get upset. So let me say that you all know that my son died of a drug overdose. My son was addicted to drugs. And in his years before his death, he had a relationship, deep relationship with a couple of young ladies who mentioned marrying him, and I told both of those young ladies that until Mitch had victory, complete victory, over his addiction, they should not even think about marrying him. So I want to say that to you so that you will understand that, I'm, that this applies to me. This applies to my family. This applies to my children. You say, but he promised, she promised, wait till they do it. Wait till they do it. I'm not saying leave them. I'm not saying don't date them. I'm not saying you're not in love with them. I'm saying don't marry them if they're not serious about beating that addiction. Now, there are other addictions other than drugs and alcohol. There's addiction to um, things like video games. I know women, and I know y'all think, Man, pastor, is this really applicable? Oh, yeah. I know women who have very little time with their husbands because their husbands are addicted to video games. You can have an addiction to drugs. You can have an addiction to food. You can have an addiction to spending. Y'all were doing amens while ago, and they kind of just, you know, went down. You can have addiction to pornography. Whatever the struggle is before marriage, it's going to what when you get married? It's going to intensify. It's going to multiply. It's going to get worse. I, I'm not saying this to be a jerk. I'm saying it because I love you. And I'm saying it because I know if you don't do this and you go ahead and marry somebody like that, you will come to me one day and say, Pastor, you were right. And it's not me. I'm not the one who's right. Who is this? It's God. 
Number three, don't marry a bitter person. Don't marry a bitter person. Look what the Bible says. Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you falls, fails to receive the grace of God. Listen to this next sentence. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you because it will what? Your bitterness will corrupt, come on, many. Mess up your marriage. The bitterness may not have a thing in the world to do with you. But if there's bitterness in the person you're dating and they won't get help and they won't see it and you see it rise up all the time, I'm telling you, if you marry that person, it's just going to get worse. It's just going to intensify. There's help. Matter of fact, let me just say this statement. Whatever you resent, you will resemble. Whatever you look back in your life and the thing you talk about and talk about and talk about, if you're not careful, that thing you talk about and talk about and talk about that I was done wrong and it might have been my parents, might have been a teacher, might have been some other influential person in my life, uh, maybe an ex-spouse, and, and I, they've made me, I'm bitter, I'm bitter. Let me tell you something. I'm telling you, you will, you will become like the thing you resent. You'll become like it. A lot of you who are angry at your parents and talk about your parents because of the, maybe, maybe they didn't know what we know about parenting today. They didn't know how damaging some words were. And you are just bitter at, she should have never said that to me. My dad should have never done that to me. My mom should have never said, I'm telling you, you can let that make you bitter or you can let some forgiveness happen there. But if you let it make you bitter, you will be like them. The very thing you say you hate the most, you'll be like that. Bitterness is like an acid. It eats away all that is good. If you're currently dating a person filled with resentment, I promise you that that resentment might not be aimed at you now, but when you get married, it will be transferred to you. I'm preaching up in here. It will be transferred to you. You know why? You say, but I didn't do it. I'm not... Because you're an easy target. You're an easy target. Hear the word of the Lord. Number four, do not marry a selfish person. Proverbs 28, 25. Selfish people what? Cause trouble. How does the person you're dating treat you? How does the person you're dating treat you? How does the person you're dating treat you? People they say they love. Do they show common courtesy, kindnesses, or do they just talk about themselves all the time? The number one cause of conflict in marriage is selfishness. I want what I want. You won't want what you want. Neither of us is willing to budge. You know what the Bible calls that? Childishness. Immaturity. I tell couples all the time, if y'all have ever heard me do a wedding, I say this to every couple in the ceremony, I say it to them in the premarital counseling, if you will treat him like a king, you will live like a queen. 
And I say to the ladies, if you, or to the men, if you will treat her like a queen, you will live like a king. Here, here's what we don't get. See, the world says, if I'm going to get what I need, I've got to beat up on everybody else around me to make sure I... You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you reap what you sow. The Bible says if you will treat your spouse like a, like a king, man, wife, if you'll treat your spouse like a king, then you'll get treated like a queen. But if you're all about you, then you're not going to reap that. Or you are going to reap that. You're going to reap that selfishness. Does this make sense? Look at Proverbs 18.1. People who do not get along with others... The reason they don't get along with them is because they're what? Only interested in themselves. They will disagree with what everyone else knows is right. That's in your Bible. That's not Pharaoh Hardison 4-7, though he has some good stuff. He is not in the Bible. <laughs> Number five, y'all with me? Say Amen. Do not marry a greedy person, which kind of ties in with selfishness, but a little bit different. Proverbs 15, 27 says, The greedy bring ruin to their what? Households. I mean, that's right in your marriage right there, buddy. Greedy bring ruin to their households. Proverbs 23, 6 is not going to come up on the screen. Write that down if you're taking notes. That verse reminds us that we're not even to have fellowship. Deep, intimate fellowship with greedy people or stingy people. If you marry a greedy spouse, I want to tell you what's going to happen. If you marry a greedy spouse, you're going to always be in debt, major debt. Because they're going to spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. And you're going to be in big debt if you marry a greedy person. So here's your question. Then uh, who can I marry? If you were my daughter, the answer would be nobody. Until <laughs> you're 47. <laughs> 50, even, yes, amen. Um. So he tells us who not to marry. Don't marry people out of control, without a control anger. We all got anger. It's whether or not it's under the control of the Holy Spirit or it's under your control. Because if it's under your control, it's going to be a mess. If you bring it under the control of the Holy Spirit, then it's going to, you know, the Bible talks about anger at the right time and a, and a right kind of anger. That you can anger and what? Sin not. But it's Holy Spirit controlled anger. Addictions. Bitterness or people with selfishness and greediness in their mind and in their heart. So who can we marry? You marry someone who's generous and kind. These are the qualities to look for in a mate. Good looking, that's fine. Uh, but generous and kind is way better than good looking. Because our culture today says that's who you marry, Right? Our culture today says it's all about outward, 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 what they look like outwardly. And God is saying that's fine, but what's more important is what they are inwardly. And all the ugly people said amen. It's all about the inside. <laughs> um, generosity, listen to this now. Generosity and kindness are 
tremendous signs of emotional health. You cannot be, um, when you're generous and kind and grateful and courteous, and, and, and all of that is flowing out of a, a intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, that's a tremendous sign of being emotionally healthy. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 11.25 and 11.17. 11.25 says, a generous person will what? Come on, girls. Are, don't you want a guy who will what? Come on. If he's a jerk, he's not going to. If he's generous, he's going to prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Hmm. Because see, if he's not generous toward others before you get married, guess who he's not going to be generous to after you get married? It's that person sitting there with two thumbs, go, this guy. He's not going to be generous to you. Look at kindness, Proverbs eleven seventeen. Those who are kind, what? Come on. Benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Kindness and generosity. Marry somebody whose anger is under control. Marry somebody who is at peace with Christ. They're not bitter. Marry somebody who's generous. Marry somebody who's kind. All these qualities are qualities of a person who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's who you're looking for. You're looking for that person who has a relationship with Christ. They are surrendered to that relationship. I could have gone on and on and on on this sermon. I could have talked about how you don't want to marry somebody that doesn't have a self-awareness. You don't want to marry somebody who never points out their own challenges but is always pointing out where you're challenged. See, a sign of humility, a sign of an intimate relationship with Jesus is a person who goes, listen, I know I struggle with this. I need you to pray for me. If, if a person is, and you know they got struggles and they would never say that to you, they'll never be honest with you about that and, and they'll never seek you to pray for them and, and um, they, there just aren't moments where they ever get vulnerable before you and, and talk about their own personal shortcomings, I'm telling you, when they're always building their self up, when they're always defensive, if they even think somebody's criticizing them the littlest amount and they get really defensive, I'm telling you guys, it's only going to get worse after you get married. So important. Man, so, so important. Because once you get married... Whatever was negative in that dating relationship is going to get worse. And to get out of that marriage is going to be so painful, so hurtful. I probably should have done it in this sermon. I did a series when we were over in the other building on marriage. And I took um, a pink piece of paper and a blue piece of paper. And I put glue on both of them and I put them together. That is a marriage. You know, the Bible talks about when you get married, you become what? One. One flesh. Now, a lot of people think that is just talking about the physical sexual relationship between a man and a woman. And certainly that's part of it. But that's only a tiny part of it. You become one emotionally. You become one intellectually. You become one. So then when you take that, those pieces of paper 
and you pull them apart, what happens? Tears, it rips. There's blue left on the pink and pink left on the blue. And I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying for anybody to walk out and and be mad at me because you're like, man, we're gonna get married and now you've kind of made it sound like a bad thing. No, no, no. I'm just telling you, it is easier to fix now. And we'll help you. We'll help you. Call the church. Get some counseling. Get some premarital counseling. We've got those classes. I, I don't know when they are or whatever, but Pastor Andy and others on our staff know, and they'll, they'll get you connected. It is, a, it, is not, it is not an option at the bridge. If you're going to have one of our staff members marry you, you're going to get some premarital counseling, and we're going to ask you some hard questions. Let me ask a question, because I'm going to raise my hand on this. Because this is true of me, okay? How many of you didn't have premarital counseling, but you wish you had? You know it would have made your marriage better. It would have made it better. Some of you are scared to raise your hand. But I know my marriage and Millie's, oh man, it's been wonderful. Especially, I know she's enjoyed it so much. But <laughs> I know, guys that I would have been such a better husband. Listen to me, especially in the early days when I was young and I didn't have any sense. I didn't have much experience and I didn't have much common sense either. And I said a lot of stupid things and did a lot of stupid things. And it's because I didn't know. Man, if we had had premarital counseling from somebody who knew what they were doing and knew how to do it, I'm telling you, it would have made our marriage as rich as it's been. It would have made it so much richer. And I'm, I'm really emphasizing, especially in those early years, when you don't know how to be a husband. Oh, I'm an awesome date. Come on, guys. Amen. You go out with me. I mean, you're like, I had a good time. So I'm an awesome date, but I didn't know how to be a husband. I knew how to date. I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know anything about being a husband. I watched my dad. My dad was a really, really good husband to my mom and is as much as he's able. But boy, I wish, man, I wish, wish, wish I'd had some premarital counseling. It would have made those early years so much easier. Amen. Just being honest. Let's all stand, would you?